Good morning. I know I sound sick. Um, it's because I am. <laughs> uh, it's a nasty one. It just won't go away. But uh, I can still talk. And when I'm weak, God is strong. So God's going to be really strong today. <laughs> um, you guys know that we're in a series called The, the Five. The big idea is we chose five books from the New Testament, and we, uh, every Sunday, kind of presented each of these books to you, but there was an invitation that you would choose one of these books, and in your spare time, in your own devotional time, you would go through it. So today we wanted to give our last installment, uh, it's in First John. Now, I'm trying to introduce First John here, and I think this is how it kind of stands out. Uh, I've heard it said that you can divide the world into two kinds of people. That there are linear people and there are nonlinear people. Right? You, you've heard of these, these terms? Yes, correct? And you know what's interesting is I, I've had a nonlinear person come up to me and say, I don't like that label, you know? And... And it seems like it was actually constructed by a linear person, so it's biased, right? You don't like to be a non-anything. Well, First John is non-linear, but um, there's another way to say it. It's, um, it's symphonic. You guys like that? I, I got that from a, a study Bible. No, it's not, it's not all mixed up. It's symphonic. Uh, I, I had a, a friend of mine who loves classical music, and I don't. And one day I just said, can you explain to me why you like classical music? How do you enjoy it? And this is what he told me. He said, if you listen, you will see this melody get repeated over and over. So it's the melody, and then they go off, and then it's back to the melody, and there's another variation, and you go back to the melody. How many of you know when I'm talking about you like classical music? Yeah, most of us don't, right? I'm right there with you. But when I started to appreciate it for the melody that keeps on getting repeated, I started to enjoy it more. First John is just like that. Um, he's talking about one thing, and then he talks about another thing, and he goes back to that one thing, and he starts talking about another thing. But there's three themes that emerge, okay? And these are the, the three themes. Number one, true doctrine. Number two, obedient living. And number three, fervent devotion. So, I don't know if you guys are in between Bible books, but one thing that I do when I'm between Bible books is I, I say, Holy Spirit, is there a book that you want me to read? And more often than not, he will tell me what it is I am to read, or at least pique my interest in a certain kind of book. And for that next season of life, I'm just going through that book and studying it and memorizing it and really enjoying it. And then I'm the one that gets transformed. So... There's the invitation for 1 John. Maybe some of you will consider going to 1 John. All right, can you guys stand up? Going to pray, and we're going to start again, okay? Let me, let me pray for our time. Oh, dear Lord, I pray for your power this morning. Our lives are much too short for us not to receive the fullness that you want for us. But we're distracted, we're harried, we're... Oh, please, Lord. 
I ask because of your grace that you, your spirit would be whispering to each person here. Can I have you guys put your one hand over your heart? Lord, this heart, would you please make it sensitive to your word and to your voice? This body may be tired from the week, but I pray that with your power, you would give us something to challenge us, to cleanse us, and to renew us. May this heart be an open heart to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you guys ever notice that there's a difference between knowing something and actually doing something about it? I'll give you an example. How many of you know that we are in a three-year drought? Raise your hands. Okay. Now, if you're not raising your hands, <laughs> come on, guys, <laughs> right? Um, and we know that we should be all doing our part in conserving water, right? Now, let me ask you guys, how many of you have been making some serious life changes to conserve water? Like, you're not watering your lawn. How many of you guys are, not, are doing that? Okay. Yeah, this is kind of like the, the shameful hour for people who are not like raising their hand. How many of you guys uh, are not washing your cars? You have, you have a good excuse now. Oh, there's a lot of people. Okay. Uh, how about this one? How many of you guys are taking military showers? Okay, some of you are like, what's that? Is it like turning on the water and just doing push-ups? No. Military showers are five-minute or less showers. And this is what you do. You go in the shower, you wet your entire body, you turn off the water, you soap all up, and then you rinse with the water. Oh, okay. Another person goes, yeah, I do that. I do that. Um, how many of you guys are just not taking showers at all? You just gave up that practice. You're like, you know, I'm just doing it for the community. Doing it for the community. I, I, I want you to know that um, I will boast, like if, you, if we're having lunch or and we're talking about this, I will boast that I take military showers. If someone shared that idea with me, I'm like, I'm going to do that. So I've been doing that for like a month. <laughs> but I've been doing it. I've been doing it. But here's the thing. Here's my secret confession, okay? I'm telling all of you. We, uh, in our house, we have, a, we have a leaky toilet. And every three hours, one gallon is, is, is leaking through the pipes, okay? And I've, I've, I've known that we've had this problem at, uh, actually for three years now. And I'm like, okay, I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to fix it. And then I didn't do anything. And then I got used to not doing anything. And so three years went by with the leaky toilet. That is my secret confession of shame right now. You guys ever notice there's a difference between knowing something and doing something about it? I'll give you another example. How many of you know, because you're getting older, right, that proper diet and exercise is necessary? Like I've heard it, I've heard it said that one hour of exercise every day is required. One hour? One hour. And that you should have more vegetables and eat more whole grains. How many of you guys know it? You know it. Okay, now how many of you guys, like last week, had fast food? Go ahead. <laughs> how many of you guys went to McDonald's this morning? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Egg McMuffin with the uh, deep fried hash browns. Got all those vitamins in that, right? How many of you guys don't remember what the inside of a gym looks like? It's like, gosh, I don't, 
what does that look like? You, you saw a documentary on it one time. You're like, what, is it, what does that look like? What do, you, what do you do at the gym? I don't know. I, people have told me stories, but I've never experienced it. Now, we know proper diet and exercise, but we don't do, right? Oh, here's the last one. How many of you know that it's really important for you to make preparations for the big earthquake that's going to come? Earthquake emergency preparations. How many, you guys know that, right? You're supposed to go to the store and buy canned foods and stock up on water and all that. Now, how many of you have eaten more than half of the canned food? You know, that was, that was my problem. It's like, we can't, this is not good. You know, there's like a really large rat that's eating all the food. No, that's me. I've been eating all the food. It's one thing to know, but it's quite another thing to do, right? Okay, why is that? Why is there this gap between knowing and doing? Why is that? Well, I think the practical reality is that it's much easier to know, and it's much harder to do. And human nature, you just kind of want to go towards what's comfortable and easy, and so it's, it's much easier to know and much harder to do, so I'm going to know but not do, right? Now, let me ask you guys. What's at cost here by a lot of knowing but not doing? Have you ever thought of that? Now, I know that if you actually do, it's going to cost you something. But what is it going to cost you if we don't do anything? You ever think about that? So, I know that I should have fixed that leaky toilet, right? And it was like three years. The cost of me doing nothing, and I did the math, is around 8,000 gallons of water. Yes. Yes, I did that. That was the cost. What's the cost if you know you should get proper diet and exercise, but you don't do it? What's the cost? Well, honestly, the cost could be a premature death. That's a lot. That's a big one, right? What, 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 is, what is the cost of, like, not being prepared for the big one? Well, the big one could hit, and what you need to survive may not be there. You may not survive. That is the cost. Now, let me ask you another thing. What's the cost of knowing Jesus Christ but failing to become more and more like him? What's the cost? And today, as we go into 1 John, I want you guys to realize there is a huge cost to becoming more like Jesus. But if we fail to become more and more like Jesus, there's an even greater cost. We have so much to lose by not living out our faith in every area of our lives. And today, this is my encouragement to you guys. You guys, let's be a people who refuse to settle for anything less than the kind of life that God wants for us. That's, what I, that, that's the call of 1 John chapter 2. Let us be people who refuse to settle for anything less than the life that God has called us to live. Let me hear you guys say, no compromise. Yeah, but I want you to really mean it. <laughs> no compromise. Come on. Okay. And now we go to 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. John writes this. My little children, it's very endearing, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the negative way of putting it. 
John is writing to us, and he's very clear about why he's writing. I'm writing this to you guys so that sin in your life will go down. He's very clear. Verse, verse, um, the next verse. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Let me hear you guys say advocate. We have an advocate. That's great news. I'm going to unpack that in a little bit. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. I know that's a big word. Let me hear you guys say propitiation. Okay, which means to turn away wrath. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Um, there's amazing news in this, that Jesus is our advocate. What's an advocate? An advocate is someone that believes in you. An advocate is someone that fights for you. An advocate is someone that champions your cause. And here the scripture is saying that Jesus is our advocate. Uh, when I was a little kid in second grade, I was known as being a little troublemaker. That's me. Second grade, I was known as being a little bit, a little troublemaker. Now, a, a lot of this story, I don't remember. This is my mom actually telling this to me. <laughs> but I was known as a troublemaker. And I think this is what happened. When I was a little kid, in, uh, growing up in Walnut Creek, it was mostly uh, a white school. There were very few Asians. And so I do think that the kids realized that I didn't really seem to fit. And they were picking on me. But here's the thing. I would fight back. And every time I fought back, the teacher would see me fight, fighting back, and I got this reputation. The teacher labeled me as a troublemaker. And when, I, when my mom came into the parent-teacher meeting, uh, the teacher let her know where I stood. You're, this kid of yours is a troublemaker. But then I went to third grade. And in third grade, I had this teacher by the name of Mrs. Carson. Mrs. Carson was tall and lean and curly white hair and thick you know, thick glasses. And I was labeled at the time as a troublemaker. And I'm pretty sure that Mrs. Carson knew my label and heard about my reputation. But she kind of labeled me the other way. She labeled me as a good student. I don't know why to this day she did that. You know, it was interesting. One time she called me out in class. She said, you know, Andrew here, um, he's Asian. And Asian people are very smart. So you just look out for this young man, and he's going to be a good student. That's, that's what she said. She called me out. And I, at the time, I was thinking, I'm not, I'm not smart. Really? Me? That was really my reaction. She called my mother in to a, a, a parent-teacher meeting, and she was raving about, uh, about me. And my mom, in her broken English, was like, I think you have the wrong son. You know, my son is Andrew. Are you, whose mother do you think I am? That, that is what my, that's what my mom was thinking. There was one time when it was like, uh, it was close to Halloween and it was a spelling test. And I was, you know, getting creative. And so I was writing like wavy letters, right? Because they're spooky letters. And she gave me an A. And then years later, I found that test and I realized I got half of the words wrong. But she didn't want to break my heart because she believed in me. It was so awesome because Mrs. Carson was my advocate that my whole, you know, academic life course changed. It took a, it took a turn. I was now 
a good student. It was unbelievable. But I really believed it because Mrs. Carson was my advocate. And here in the scripture, John is saying, Jesus is your advocate. He believes in you. He fought for you. He championed your cause. And because of what he did, your life has now changed directions. You've been set on a new course. And this new course is that you're going to become more and more like Jesus. It's awesome. But it's because we have Jesus as our advocate. Now it says Jesus made a propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? It means that through his death, he turned away the wrath of God. Each of us had a bad reputation that was well-deserved which is that we had very little regard for God, and we broke his commands. And so Jesus died on the cross to turn away the wrath of God that was deservedly ours, and he set our life on a new course. And the message here is, you guys, embrace that new course. That's who you're called to be. Verse 4, John says, Oh, I'm sorry, verse, verse 3. And we know this, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commands. Okay, now let's look at those first few words. And by this we know. When do you use those words? When do you use those words, what are you referring to? Normally you're referring to a, a test, right? By this we know. That's a test. That's language for test. It's a self-diagnostic. So here is John saying, this is a test. A test for what? A test for knowing that you truly know God. Okay? And basically he says, if you really know God, it's going to show up in your life. Now, what's being implied here is this. Now, it's really the main idea of the message. I wrote it down on some cardboard that we have because I just want to make it super, super clear. So this is what John is saying is the divine process of your life, right? It's right there in this verse. Would you guys agree? Basically, John is saying that by you knowing God, it leads towards a changed life. Now, I want you to look at this. This is actually a very beautiful process. It's saying, John is saying, by you knowing God, knowing his grace, that he gave up his son for you on the cross, knowing his holiness, right? What that produces in a person's life is you start to change. You're no longer the same person. You know, you start to look at the opposite sex differently. You know, there's purity in your life. You start to worry less. You're more joyful. And your life, you start to pour out your life in love and compassion for other people. You don't hold bitterness. It's such an amazing, attractive, radiant, life-giving life. Now, look at this beautiful process. John is saying, we've all been called to this. This is going on in your life. It's a beautiful process. And it's happening every day. You get to be more and more like Jesus. Now, John is saying, uh, well, this is how you know, but this is the test. How do you know that a person really knows God? And John says, well, you look at the life chain. You look at this person keeping the commandments. And if you see that, then you know this is really happening. And this is true. It's a test. You guys see the flow. If you have this, it produces this. No exception. No separation. 
They are so tightly linked that you know this means that this is going on, right? Are we clear? That's why I wrote it on the cardboard, so we can be really, really clear, right? Okay, but let's keep on going. Now let's go. Uh, Verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now here, John is being super realistic. Now I I appreciate him being realistic because John is recognizing that there's a phenomenon in our lives and it's going on all the time, which is that there is a breakdown from here to here. There is this breakdown. And there's something with the human heart that is actually taking a beautiful process like this and perverting it and manipulating it. And basically what we do is we go, knowing God, that's really cool, you know? And we do something. We take this beautiful process and we kind of, uh, we kind of manipulate it a little bit. And we kind of go, okay, knowing God is here. And the changed life is like optional. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. These are areas in my life where it doesn't. But sometimes it does happen. You know, I, I, I give in to worry. I give in to lust. I hold grudges against people. Yeah, it's really tough. So, you know, sometimes my life is just like this, but this part is just optional, right? And then John comes and says, no, 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 no. Now, every now and then, you need a black and white person to come into your life and go, hey, listen, sit down. You got to hear this. When you are manipulating this and saying, well, sometimes it's, it's kind of optional, the life change and stuff like that. Do you know what you're doing? John looks at you and goes, you are lying. And he looks at you and goes, you're a liar. This cannot be optional. It doesn't go like this. Knowing God makes you more and more like Jesus. And when people see your knowing God, they're going to see life change in very definitive ways. That's what John is saying. Now, I want you guys to remember, John is saying, look, you need to test yourself. This is how you know. You need to test yourself. Because the human heart is always so deceptive. It always wants to manipulate and bend. And so here's the test. You know that this is truly happening when there is life change. So I was taking this and I was thinking about it, thinking about the verses, and kind of putting it into a question that we can ask ourselves on a regular basis. Now, here's the thing. I came up with this question. If you ask this question on a regular basis, it is going to save you from so much wasted life. So much wasted life and regret. The human heart is so deceptive. It's always saying, oh, no, no, this is good. This is, this is healthy. This is strong. And John's like, well, you got to test it. You got to test it. Because you, you have this propensity to, to lie to yourself. And so if you ask this question on a regular basis, it's going to test it. It's going to make sure that you're on track. You guys ready for the question? Here's the test question. It's actually in your bulletin. We must ask ourselves periodically, is there any part of my life that is inconsistent with my faith? Now, I'm asking you guys that question right now. Is there any part of your life that is inconsistent with your faith? I want you to seriously ask yourself that question. Now, here's what I did. In the meantime, I I consulted with my wife. I consulted with another staff member. And we came up a list that we're calling like community sins. Um... As a community, there are themes of sin that keep on popping up. 
And so I thought it would be very tangible for me to identify these and just to flash them up, just to show you, so you have a few to consider, okay? And here they are. Lust, unforgiveness, bitterness, worry, and lukewarmness. You guys, this question is really powerful. And I'm just wondering what's going to happen if you were to take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, is there any part of my life that is inconsistent with my faith? And I was wondering, like, maybe the best thing I can do this morning is just for one minute just stop talking and let you guys ask that question. And who knows what will happen? The Holy Spirit may speak right away. Why not give it a try? So can I ask you guys to go ahead and stand up? And I wanted to just give you a minute. Sometimes a minute up here is different from a minute over there. So I'm actually going to time myself to just zip my lip for a minute. And I just want to invite you guys to say, Holy Spirit, is there any part of my life where the knowing God is not working itself out in the changed life? Is there any part of my life that is inconsistent with my faith? And then you just wait And who knows, maybe the Holy Spirit will surprise you. Okay, I'm going to invite you guys to uh, go ahead and ask the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to give you a minute to do that. And just listen, see what he says. Right, you guys can take a seat. I imagine that right now in this room, some of you are surprised. Maybe you weren't expecting the Holy Spirit to whisper something, and I bet you he did. But I also bet that some of you are still processing, you're still a little bit confused, and I want to be helpful to the people who are still processing. And this is what I thought could be super, super helpful. Do you guys know that a lot of times it's really hard to see your own junk? Like there's areas in your life that you're not consistent, And you have no idea that you're not consistent. And maybe it's because you've been inconsistent for so long that you can't see it anymore. But here's the thing that might surprise you. Other people see it. You guys agree? Other people probably see it. And they haven't told you because you've never asked. Here's a challenge I'm giving to you guys. Why don't you turn to someone who knows you and ask the question, Do you see any part of my life that's inconsistent with my faith? And then shut up and listen to what they have to say. Okay? And I bet you they see something that you don't. Now listen, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I am not willing to do myself. So I did it. I did it. A couple days ago, I was having lunch with Reina. And I go, Reina, 
You know, it's like moment of truth. You know, Reina, do you see any part of my life that's inconsistent with my faith? You know what she said? She goes, I don't know. Let me think about that. You know what I said? Do you want me to tell you yours? <laughs> okay. Okay, and then five minutes later in the conversation, I'm like, tell the congregation not to do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't share unless they've asked you first, right? So anyway, I, I say, do you want me to tell you yours? And she was like, okay. And for the next, you know, five minutes, I, I told her what I saw, okay? And then after I said that, she goes, oh, I know yours now. <laughs> I'm like, wow, my honesty has given her sudden clarity. That's amazing. Wow. How did that happen? You know what she said to me? She said, the place in your faith that is inconsistent is your lack of compassion. That's what she said. She said, I know you love people, but there's missing this part of deep empathy. And then she goes, and I see it in this relationship of yours that kind of broke down. And I see it over here where you have no joy in ministry. And, and then she, she just, she called me out. Now, now here's the thing. When she told me, my first response was to kind of dismiss it. Because I'm like, no, I got these things I'm already working on. I think those things are more urgent. And then the more we're talking, I started to realize she's right. <laughs> I started to realize she was right. That there were parts in my life where the common thread was a lack of compassion, a lack of really embodying the grace of God. And I started to realize that if I don't actually tend to this and make this a priority, it has potential to undermine my entire ministry. And yet at the time, I didn't see it. But she could. What would happen? What would happen if you turn to someone you trust, someone who knows you, and you said, look at my life. Honestly, is there something that you see where it's, not in, in, where it's inconsistent with my faith? And then just miss it. Now, when we find out these things, you guys, we got to be motivated to do the right thing. Now, uh, where, what do we do when we find out these places that are not adding up, where there's inconsistency? I would say two things. I would say, number one, cry out to God for help. Cry out to God for help. And I would say number two, lean on your community for accountability. Lean on your community for accountability. You guys, I think of the men who have confided in me throughout the years as a pastor, that there's this ongoing struggle with lust. And I know it was not easy to talk to me about it. It was not easy. Not one of those times it was easy. It was not embarrassing. I'm sure it was all of that. But these men were vulnerable. They ate humble pie to confide in me. Why? Because that's what you have to do. Because sin grows in the dark. And we need to cry out to God together like we did. And then we need to lean on our community for accountability. Hey, guys, that's why we're here. It's a big reason for why we're here. One of the reasons why we're here is so we can confide in each other and find help and strength through relationships and prayer and encouragement. And so I would encourage you to, number one, cry out to God. And number two, lean on your community. Let's go to verse five. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, 
the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You know, it's so easy to read verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know and keep on going. But did you miss that there is a really cool promise here? Right there in verse 5. You just kind of, it's easy to skip right over it. Whoever keeps his word in him, what? What's the promise? In him truly, what? The love of God is perfected. What's being offered here? What's being offered here is this love relationship with God that is going through the roof. That is, that is being perfected. You can know how deeply that love goes. And you can respond back with your love for God. I mean, what's being offered here is incredible. Now, let me just add the whole thing up, okay? First of all, we have Jesus as our advocate. Jesus, who died for us, fought, fought for us, and champions our cause. He set our course, the course of our life anew, so we can live this changed life. And then God gives us this beautiful process where we're knowing him, his grace, his holiness, and we are changing to look more and more like Jesus. We're worrying less. We're more joyful. We're loving all the people the way he did. We look, we smell, and we act like Jesus. And now John is saying, oh, yeah, one more thing. Your love relationship with God is going to go through the roof. You're going to know the deep love of God on a deep, deep way. And you're going to respond back with all of your life loving God. You guys, what's more valuable than what's being offered? And why in the world will we ever settle for anything less than that kind of life? Do we really like sin more than what God wants to do through us? Man, I, I think when you, when you think about what's being offered, the only appropriate response is I'm going to do whatever is necessary so that this kind of life can be born in me. I want that. With every ounce of my being, I want that, Lord. Let it happen. And you cry out to God. You know, I think of one of our former board members who got up here and confessed that he was envious of others. I don't know if you were there. I don't know if you remembered that. But he was envious of other people, what they had, and their success, which is interesting because I, I envied, you know, this guy who shared, you know. And I remember he was just sharing so openly. It was amazing. Like he was confiding in his wife at first about this envy. And then he shared it with his home group. And then he shared it with me. And then he shared it with the entire church. And I remember him saying that sin grows in the darkness and I don't want it to grow. It was just amazing. Here is a man who's saying, I'm not going to live with inconsistency. I want the life. I want the changed life that God offers me. And so he said, every time I feel envy, you know what I do? I fight it off with generosity. Here's a guy who's refusing to settle for anything less than the kind of life that God wants to give him. Amen. Absolutely. And God is calling us to be people who say, I will not settle for anything less than that changed life that God, that Jesus died to give me. So let's keep processing. What is that inconsistency? What is that thing? And I want you to know that God does not reveal it to you without giving you the resources through his spirit to make the appropriate changes. So let's keep changing. 
Let's pray. Oh, dear God, all of us in this room, we struggle with inconsistencies. Places in our life that just don't add up to your grace, to your wonder, to your holiness, and to your mercy. Oh, Lord, please forgive us. And I know that when we ask for forgiveness, you give it to us because your son turned away the wrath of God. I pray that you would give us strength, clarity, and motivation to be the people that you have called us to be. For the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.